Hi, everyone. We've set up this Being an Engineer podcast as an industry knowledge repository, if you will. We hope it'll be a tool where engineers can learn about and connect with other companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. So make some connections and enjoy the show. Being, um, I guess, supportive of trial and error and failures is something that encourages someone to keep trying again, keep finding an innovative solution and not being afraid to, to fail. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Being an Engineer podcast. We're speaking with Brooke McDonald today, and this is episode six out of six in our R&D series. Brooke holds a bachelor's degree in biomedical engineering and has deep experience in medical device reprocessing as well as in developing new medical devices. Brooke currently works as a staff research and development engineer on novel approaches to combating brain tumors. Brooke, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Aaron. Excited to be here. Um, I, this is my first podcast experience, so super excited Ooh. to share it with the Pipeline Group. Awesome. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, um, what made you decide to become an engineer? Yeah, so I, growing up, um, and especially in high school, was really good at math, science, um, always liked solving problems, um, would characterize myself as creative. Um, but I think what really drove me to become an engineer was influence from my mom. Um, so she is one out of 10 kids and nine out of her 10 siblings, um, were all engineers. Wow. Iron ironically, <laughs> she studied art, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she, she did influence, I think me, my sister and my brother all to consider, um, an education in engineering. Um, and she's really proud now to say that. All three of her children are all engineers. <laughs> wow. Amazing. What, yeah. what kind of engineering uh, do your brother and sister do? Civil engineering and industrial engineering. And then across our family, gosh, there's pretty much everything, mechanical, electrical. Um, someone's in the, the fire safety realm. So got abroad um, and had abroad, you know, uh, different industry types to look at whenever I was kind of deciding what type of engineer I wanted to be too. That's pretty incredible on your mom's side. Would you just <laughs> say nine of them are engineers? Yep. Yeah. First of all, that's a huge family. And mm -hmm. second of all, that <laughs> incredible that nine of them became engineers. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically in your DNA. It is. It is. I didn't know I wanted to get into biomedical engineering, I'd say. Um, and it kind of worked out. So I went to the University of Arkansas. And the first semester of any type of engineering um, is just general engineering. So everybody goes in, you learn about all the different types of first semester, and then you choose your specialty second semester. Um, and when that time came around, um, ironically, at the same time, they had introduced a new biomedical engineering program. Um, so it kind of seemed like fate had aligned in terms of, of timing. So I um, dove into the, the biomedical realm. I think 
yeah, for me, having the opportunity to, you know, work on medical devices and patient care and having the ability to potentially save lives, that was really exciting and kind of knew that that was the path for me. Totally. Yeah. I I wish that the first semester in college for me had been kind of a, a broad general. Here are all the different kinds of engineering. We didn't really have that. I signed up for uh, manufacturing engineering uh-huh. initially, actually. And then that, that program ended up getting canceled. And so mechanical engineering was kind of like the default where they shuttled all of us uh, off to, which turned <laughs> out to be a, a really great fit. And I'm, I'm glad that happened, actually. I think uh-huh. mechanical for me is better than than manufacturing. Um, well, you're you're an R&D engineer right now. And uh, you um, do you think of yourself like specifically as an R&D engineer or just more generally as an engineer or more specifically as like a biomedical engineer? How do you uh-huh. think about that? Yeah. So in biomedical engineering, they really taught us a broad range of all types. You see how a little bit of mechanical, a little bit of electrical, um, you know, they wove in biology and medicine to kind of the the jack of all trades. You had a broad range of, of background skills. But because of that, I think I would think of myself more as an engineer um, rather than an R&D specific engineer. But I have found that my passion really lies within R&D. So throughout my career, um, I've been in the medical device engineering realm for um, about eight years, a little over eight years. Seven of those eight years were all in R&D. I did step outside of my comfort zone and try um, operations or manufacturing engineer for a year um, and then quickly jump back into R&D. So I found that that's really what I'm most passionate about. I'm most engaged. I have the most drive. When when you learned that manufacturing engineering wasn't really the right fit for you, what what was it about uh, manufacturing that that you didn't like, or maybe what was it about R and D that you were missing there mm-hmm. that that took you back to R and D? Yeah. So my roles in R and D have been pretty. Um, unique, I'd say. I I think within R&D, you can take really a lot of different paths. Um, And my work primarily has focused on more of the upfront space. So working directly with customers, surgeons, clinicians, trying to understand what their needs are, and then translating those into design input. Um, So with my biomedical background, I think I excel more in this upfront space, doing the exploratory research, needs finding, um, again, trying to figure out how to translate what people are describing into a design, um, and really having a, a piece of that innovation or being able to influence innovation. So I think that's what I missed when I um, jumped over to manufacturing and operations. Um, and I think, yeah, st- studying biomedical kind of gave me the ability to be able to transition into a role like manufacturing um, and, you know, translate the skills that I have in R&D or biomedical background into the ability to create manufacturing processes. Um, But again, was missing that customer interaction piece. Yeah, totally. Well, during your career in R&D, what, what have been some of the most common challenges that you seem to run into like over and over? Or are there 
patterns that have emerged over the years? I think biggest thing that comes to mind is just iterations and accepting failures. <laughs> mm. So within R&D, you're, you know, it's really, especially in the upfront space, um, before you're actually moving a product um, through the product development process. And I'm primarily talking about, you know, the medical device product development process here. Um, but before you hit go, there's a lot of trial and errors, um, a lot of failures and iterations pop up. Um, you're constantly experimenting or creating new prototype, um, testing them out. And that's just, you know, the, the nature of R&D itself. So one of the challenges you run into are just, you know, setbacks, things you weren't expecting, um, failures that you have to learn from, and then just iterating your product or your design into a new idea that's, you know, better um, geared up to not fail compared to what you had before. So um, yeah, I think failures are common and expected in R&D, but you always figure it out in the end, which is exciting. You know, I think that's one of the great things about R&D is there are so many failures. As engineers, I think that we're programmed to really love solid solving problems and R&D just presents us with with so many problems to solve right it if if it worked perfectly the first time all the time it might actually get kind of boring because there, <laughs> there aren't enough problems to solve <laughs> so, yep yeah R&D is really cool in that in that aspect yeah I was actually as I'm thinking about that question I googled how many planes did the Wright brothers, you know, create before they successfully flew the first airplane? Um, and I couldn't get an exact answer, but it did say that they, you know, iterated products for several years before they flew for the first time. So it gives, yeah. gives yeah. me motivation to keep going in medical device iteration. And it makes that uh, that moment of success that much sweeter, right? When you've yeah, had all these failures and then finally, ah, we got it. We figured it out. What a yeah. great feeling that is. Yep, exactly. So you've maybe talked about this a little bit already, but let me ask uh, the question specifically. What do you think your role is as an R&D engineer? Like what what does that title mean? What What is, what is the objective of an R&D engineer? Mm-hmm. So I'll answer this in terms of my specific um, experiences and where I've landed in R&D. Um, I think my job is to really understand what a customer needs and then be able to work cross-functionally to translate that into a design. Um, so I think a lot of times, um, and I think we see this across probably a lot of industries, but there's companies that make products and bring them to customers. And at the end of the day, nobody buys them, nobody uses them. Um, and I think that probably stems from not really understanding what the true need is. So there's a quote that we have at, at our office that's posted on um, the wall near the R&D um, engineering team's workstations. And the quote goes, the worst design is a solution in search of a problem. 
So it kind of suggests that creating a design without a clear, you know, understanding of the problem that it's trying to solve or the need that it addresses can really lead to something that maybe doesn't have a purpose or, um, you know, is is an unnecessary solution. So I think R&D and specifically in the upfront medical device space is making sure you really understand what it is that you're customers, your surgeons, your clinicians don't have, and then trying to translate that into something that solves that problem. Yeah, which can be deceptively difficult, right? I mean, looking at it from the outside, you might ask, why would you ever solve a problem that doesn't exist, right? Okay. It seems so obvious. But in practice, it's 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 really tough to, like, as engineers, we just want to jump in and build something. Right. <laughs> so, to like have the discipline to kind of sit back and, okay, we really truly do understand the problem. Now let's go ahead and, and start to build something. It takes, uh, it takes some discipline, I think. Exactly. Yeah. What, what are some of the tools that you find to be really helpful and, uh, and that you've used regularly over the years in R&D? So for me, I primarily use research databases and literature academic journals, technical publications. Um, it's all about, you know, staying updated with the latest developments, gathering information, and then really using these articles and publications to inform what we're developing or how we're testing it. Um, so this is super helpful when we're, you know, figuring out test methods for the first time. Um, for example, in my current role, we have an implantable um, product that treats uh, residual brain tumor cells after a tumor is removed. Um, and we're working on the next generation of that product. So one of the questions our customers asked us is, well, how does that product look after you implant it and then perform CT and MR scans? Um, this is the first time I've been in first the, the brain space, second, the oncology or cancer space, and then third, having dealt with any sort of like permanent implants and imaging. So I really had to start with, you know, educating myself of all of these different spaces and, and avenues, and then figuring out, well, how do you test something in an MR and CT scan and what physical tests you know, configurations or fixtures are you able to put into these types of machines. So I rely pretty heavily on researching um, and really appreciate the other engineers who have published, you know, some of their studies that I can learn from or leverage. Um, and then I'd say kind of within that same realm, um, within medical, uh, there's a ton of standards that can be referenced, whether it's ISO standards or ASTME. Um, I think Amy is another one. There's there's a bunch out there, but we try to keep everything as standardized as possible so that we're doing things consistently or testing things consistently across different companies. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, how about activities that you perform that you wish could just be done way, way faster? And, and maybe there's some that you don't wish could be done faster because they're the fun part, they're the things that you really love doing. But is there anything out there that, you know, you just think to yourself, man, I wish I wish this could be just performed like a magnitude of order faster than what we're currently doing? 
Yeah. Uh, I'll describe one that comes to mind and um, probably a, a nice shameless plug for Pipeline because I think this is where they've helped um, us in the past, especially when I worked at Stryker. Uh, but one of the things, again, from a, a medical test, uh, medical perspective is the testing that we have to do. Um, so while it's really fun and exciting, you know, early on to do proof of concept testing um, and evaluating things from an initial perspective with medical, um, when it comes to our final verification and validation testing, we have to test extremely high sample sizes. Um, and naturally, because it's critical to make sure that these products are safe and effective for for patients, right? But sometimes we're testing hundreds of products um, over weeks and even months. Um, it can span just the amount of um, devices you have to go through. And then if you're working on, you know, multiple products at a time, I think um, one of my last products we were testing for probably four four months or so. So. Um, that's definitely something that I think we could, um, increase or improve, but you have to do so in such a way that you're not, you know, affecting the, you know, final validation of those devices. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the shameless plug. Uh, I'll get you, uh, your payment sent out for the show, <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, it's something that I think about as well. Um, in fact, we're, uh, speaking of shameless plugs, we're working on, um, a, a line of kind of modular test fixtures right now that hopefully make the R&D process much, much faster. Right now, pretty much all the work we do, we, we develop custom fixtures and equipment for companies like uh, where, you, where you're working. Uh, and it takes a while, right, to develop something custom. So we're working on a line of product that's not custom, that's a little bit more generic, but can be uh, customized or configured to to do a, a wide range of, of different testing. So anyway, stay tuned for that, everyone listening to the podcast that we hope to launch our first product later this year. Um, anyway, back to uh, this <laughs> podcast is about Brooks, not Pipeline. So going back to Brooke, what what is what is one of your proudest accomplishments as an R and D engineer? Yeah, so in twenty nineteen. Uh, we had just launched a product, um, and this was when I worked at Stryker, so it was a reprocessed medical device. Um, this was probably my second time going through the entire product development process, so my second time um, launching a product, and I actually sat as the lead R&D engineer on that product. Um, so we were nominated for the Stryker's Global R&D Award best new product category, um, which was very exciting. As a reprocessed product, we don't typically, you know, stack up as um, exciting or innovative as some of the other novel Striker products. Um, but we did that year and we traveled to Chicago to go to the R&D Summit. And they announced that we had won the award. So there were three winners of the category and we were one of them. Um, so winning that made me super proud, but I think it was more reflecting on the image of our team standing up on the stage, um, being handed the award that really, um, hit home for me. There were 10 of us standing on the stage 
Um, and nine of them were male and one was a female. So that was me. Um, so in a, you know, in a, in a field that in the past has been predominantly, you know, male dominated, it was really cool to be standing up there as, you know, the, the one and only female engineer representing, you know, other women in, in the field. And, um, I know every year, you know, more and more women to enter the engineering field so i know one day there will be more than one you know female and and nine male on that stage but that was a really proud moment for me oh what what an amazing experience that must have been congratulations on that thank you and you were a project lead on that project as well right i was yeah so it was um we had we manufactured it out in florida um and then did most of the design and testing in Phoenix. So we had um, lead engineers across R&D, manufacturing, and quality. Um, And then we really all partnered with the rest of the team, marketing, regulatory, um, to really, you know, bring the product to market. So that was my first time being a lead R&D engineer. And then I held lead R&D engineering positions um, after that. So I must have done okay. Oh, I, I love that you brought that up because I think sometimes engineers get a bad rap as being like, um, uh, all we want to do is like sit in our cube and, and pound away at our keyboard and like we don't like contact with other humans. But uh, <laughs> what was so meaningful for you was was this recognition and, and not in a prideful way at all, but just the fact that you got to be up there um, as an engineer and also representing women in engineering that that recognition i think is super important for us and and probably goes unappreciated maybe even uh especially within the the field of engineering because there is this like this kind of idea of we we don't need to talk to other people and we're introverts and you know all of that stuff but anyway i'm i'm glad you brought that up um what what's something that you wish others would understand about r&d engineering that that maybe uh, even other engineers who aren't in the R&D space or, or leadership maybe doesn't fully appreciate? I'll go back, and I, I know this has been my answer for a lot of things, but I think I'll go back to understanding how important the clinical need is or, or understanding the patient needs, what the customer needs are, um, and how crucial it is that you know you let that guide you. Um, I think a lot of times... Uh, we talked about this earlier too. As as an engineer, sometimes you can get super excited about like the most technical product or you know something that really excites you. This new innovation that nobody's ever tried before, um, and maybe that's not what you know they, the people need at the end of the day. So I think it's kind of pulling yourself back and not you know diving too deep into what exactly it is that you think should be developed. It's really understanding what do people need, what do customers need, what do um, patients need, especially within within medical. I love that uh, within the space of the medical device space specifically, there, there's a built-in check for that. There's sure. uh, verification and there's validation. And sometimes I get these mixed up, so please correct me if, if I get it wrong, but verification is making sure that you design the product correctly. Uh-huh. 
And then validation is making sure you designed the correct product. Exactly. That is the the product that actually meets meets the needs. So that's one of the cool things that I've always appreciated about the medical device space is that check is is kind of already built into the process and and formally regulated by the FDA. So you're you're really forced to make sure you un- understand a problem, at least in in theory. That's how it should be. Absolutely. And I've been on um, you know, I've worked on products before where we said, yes, we designed the right product. We developed all these, use, um, yeah, design inputs and acceptance criteria. We met all of our specifications and then we brought the final product to the customer. And there were a variety of different things that we hadn't thought about that were important to them. So we had to go back to the drawing board. So it really shows how important it is to, you know, be having those conversations up front and early and you know, taking prototypes um, to your customers and just really making sure that you're thinking not only about what you think is right, but what they actually need at the end of the day. Yeah. 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 Which goes back to discipline, right? As uh-huh. engineers, we love to just jump in and start building things. Yep. But uh, sometimes <laughs> we need to pull ourselves back and make sure we have all the right information before we, we do that. Um, what, what's one of your biggest frustrations in R and D? And then also like, what's, what's one of the things that you like most about R and D? Yeah. So one common frustration, um, and touched on this a little bit earlier, is just the uncertainty or unpredictable nature of, you know, will what you're developing actually work at the end of the day? Um, within R and D you're exploring, you know, new territories, you're trying to solve complex problems, you're ideally developing something new and novel that um, doesn't exist today. So you're really having to figure out, um, you know, things from the beginning, you have setbacks, failed attempts. um, And that can be frustrating at times. Um, And that's why that continuous iteration is is usually required. but I think on the the other hand and kind of ties in with the frustration is that as an R&D engineer, you're, you are driving that innovation. You're working on cutting edge technologies, you're developing new solutions. So when you do finally, you know, come up with that solution and implement a new idea, it's really exciting. Um, there's a ton of satisfaction after you see your you know, research paying off and all the testing and exploratory areas um, that you focused on come to fruition with a, with a final new novel product. I think that's satisfying to see yourself push through those frustrations and finally come to the, the end. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, totally. I agree 100%. How about, what are, what are one or two things that you think are especially challenging uh, when it comes to teaching others to become R&D engineers? The two things come to mind. Um, so I think some of the natural qualities of um, maybe R&D engineers, so having just a natural aptitude to be creative or have really innovative ideas, I think that again, comes naturally to some, but may be a little more difficult to teach to somebody who isn't, you know, typically thinking in that way. Um, if, 
yeah, creativity and critical thinking, the ability to innovate, those are all things that kind of describe an R&D engineer, right? So I think to be successful in teaching, um, you know, others this skill or maybe um, aspiring R&D engineers is just to encourage them to be curious, um, promote risk-taking. I think being, um, I guess, supportive of trial and error and failures is something that encourages someone to keep trying again, keep finding an innovative solution, um, and not being afraid to to fail, which I think some of us, um, most of us, you know, typically are. And then I think encouraging people to think outside the box is a, another roundabout way that you can maybe teach someone to be creative and, and innovative. Yeah. I've noticed that uh, engineers who have this natural curiosity about them tend to do well in uh, in in the R and D space, and those who don't have that innate curiosity maybe struggle a little bit more, and, and may be better suited towards other types of engineering, like sustaining engineering or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think all like yeah, even all types of engineering, I, I feel like is creativity and innovation isn't your Forte. Um, I I do see that all types of engineering, you know, collaborate at the end of the day within a certain company with one another. So you can get exposure into, um, you know, working on the innovative products, but also maybe focusing more on some of your, you know, deeper skills. So for example, I wouldn't call myself the most technically um, inept when it comes to mechanical or electrical engineering, but I get to work with those types of engineers every single day. Um, And I think the skills I have in the more creative and innovative space kind of complement what they bring to the table from a electrical or mechanical aspect. So there's still ways to get exposure into all the different types of engineering wherever um, you end up. Yeah, for sure. What's something that you would change about R&D if you could? Let's say you had a magic wand and and we can stray outside the realms of known physics here. You could do anything you want. What would you change or improve, make better about R&D engineering? Yeah, in medical engineering and product development in general, our projects tend to take, you know, a really long time, years, right? Um, And a lot of times there's pressure from upper leadership or project management uh, to really go faster, you know, bring a product to market as soon as possible. And if I had a magic wand, I would eliminate, you know, the time constraints and pressure that, that you tend to see. And this is probably the same across, you know, any industry, right? The the goal is to run a business and, you know, create product. Um, but I think sometimes the pressure to deliver results um, under some of those strict deadlines really prevents us from, you know, innovating the best that we possibly can. Or when you're focused on meeting a project deadline, you sometimes, you know, are moving so quickly that you make mistakes um, or you're not able to implement the best possible solution um, just because you're persuaded or influenced to consider speed to market and what's you know the factor solution 
So I think there's a there's a happy medium between the two, right? We don't want engineers working for decades to create a product. <laughs> um, but some of the the pressures on, you know, moving quickly can at times be stressful. Yeah, sure. How let me think about how to ask this question. You mentioned that you sometimes feel like you aren't able to produce the best solution because of schedules and deadlines and pressure to, to finish things. And I've definitely noticed that myself yeah. over the years, right? Oftentimes we get something out that's good enough, but it could be better. And I get that there are uh, commercial constraints uh, in which we're working, right? That makes sense. So using your magic wand and forgetting about all of those constraints just for a, a minute here in our, our magic little fairy tale land podcast episode. How, how does that affect you as an engineer when you know that this could be better, but we're not being given the time and resources to make it like the best. And so we're, we're just going to, we're, we're going to release this, which is, it's good. It's good enough, but it could be better. For you personally, is that a big deal? Like, does that does that weigh on you or is it fine? You know, you just think, yep, did the best we could with the resources we had and now we're moving on and I'm not even going to think about this anymore. I think it's important to have an understanding of, you know, the, the business need and aligning your specific project and your engineering tasks with the business needs. Um, I, I do think I have probably a unique answer because in my work in the medical industry, there have been many a times where we've had to, you know, release or launch a product that worked but wasn't our best. But nine times out of 10, we have um, post-launch changes that are already planned and incorporated down the line. So mm. it's easier to accept, you know, this isn't my best work today, knowing that you have the opportunity um, in a year or so to, you know, provide your best work. So for me, I know that I'm at least giving them something to work with now. While it might not be perfect, it's better than nothing. And I will have the opportunity later on to improve it. Yeah, no, I like that a lot because... Yeah, maybe what we're releasing today is like 85% of where it could be, but that's still 85% that the customer didn't have before, right? We're we're giving them a solution that they can use now and and sometimes done is better than perfect. So, Absolutely. I like that mindset. Speaking of mindsets, what what do you think are some of the most important mindsets to have as an R&D engineer? curiosity comes to mind, really just a desire to learn more or understand how things are working or why things aren't working, um, and just wanting to stay updated with, you know, the latest innovations or new technologies. Um, we talked about creativity a little bit in, in the previous answer. Um, I think this is obviously really important to generate new ideas and approaches and have that, you know, thinking outside of the box mindset. Um, and then one of the, I think, biggest mindsets to have or 
um, be successful in is being collaborative um, with good communication. So to be successful um, within R&D, you're typically working cross-functionally with marketing, quality, regulatory, um, mechanical engineers that we talked about earlier, electrical. Um, you have, you know, an entire team of people that are working on a product. It's never just an R&D engineer on their own. Um, so I think listening is key, um, especially, again, going back to understanding those customer needs or what the sales needs are, um, and then really having the ability to articulate or translate these ideas or, or concepts to your team. So I think that if you can think about those things, you can be successful in an R&D engineering role. Yeah, I like that you mentioned communication. I interviewed uh, uh, the dean of a university recently, and it was a really great conversation. One of the things that he mentioned was they're finding that students are not as good communicating as maybe they used to be. And maybe social media is to blame. I don't know. But he says that he wishes that they could find just a really good communication course and incorporate it into their curriculum because that's one of the shortcomings that they're seeing with their graduates is that they're not as good communicators as as they need to be, um, which gives me other ideas because I love communication <laughs> and, and, and I love developing new products. So some wheels are turning there for me, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, uh, just maybe another couple questions and then we'll wrap things up here. Um, do you think that your your understanding of what it is to be in R&D has changed over the years since you started your career as an engineer? Like, has that understanding evolved or, or has it always been pretty constant ever since you started your career? It definitely was not constant. Um, and it, it's kind of a, a funny story of how I got into R&D engineering in the first place. Um, so when I was in college, um, I applied for an internship with Stryker. Um, and they had a ton of different, you know, internships that were available, um, spanning all types of, of different engineering. And um, I got accepted for the internship and was given a choice as far as which um, specific type of engineering I wanted to um, go into. So if I'm remembering correctly, the recruiter told me R&D engineering, I think quality engineering, and manufacturing. Um, and to be honest, I really didn't know what um, the real difference was in terms of what a career looked like in each of those different um, specialties or spaces. Um, so after she explained the roles to me, I told her, I want to be a quality engineer. And she goes, um, are you sure? I think you want to be, <laughs> I think you want to be an R&D engineer. So I don't know if it was just the way I described my interests or my background or some of the projects I had worked on in college, um, but she really steered me in the direction of R&D, and I am so grateful that she did. Um, so go going back to where we started at the beginning of the conversation, I've now since then have tried different types of engineering, and R&D is really where... Um, I feel most at home. I'm most driven. I have the most passion um, for the work that I'm doing. 
Um, I've learned throughout my career that, again, R&D focuses more on the innovation, upfront work, um, exploring unknown spaces and working on novel products. Um, so while I didn't know that about R&D um, when I was applying for internships, um, I've, I've really seen that over the years and am really grateful that I ended up um, where I am and that she pointed me towards R&D instead of quality. <laughs> what, a, what a funny story. Thanks for sharing that. That was, that was great. Okay, so let's, let's pretend that it's three years from now. And you're looking back, reflecting over the progress that you've made in your career. What needs to be true for you to feel happy and satisfied with the work that you've done as an engineer? Yeah, I feel pretty lucky that I landed in the med tech industry. Um, and before that biomedical engineering program was available or offered at my school, I kind of wonder where you know what path I would have would have gone down without having that background, um, but the fact that I did land in medical device development makes me feel pretty confident that you know I'll, I'll typically always be satisfied with the work that I'm doing. Um, you know, having the opportunity to help patients or improve the lives of patients, improve their quality of life. Um, you know, the med tech industry is typically comprised of companies that are trying to make a difference. So I, I think I'll continue to be fulfilled by that. And then more, I guess, on a personal level, not only working for, you know, medical device companies, but I think as long as I continue to try to learn new things, acquire new skills, um, say yes to some of those opportunities that might be a little more daunting or um, be in an unfamiliar space. I think I'll look back through the years from now and see how much I've grown and, and come along the way in my career. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, great, Brooke. This has been such a, a delightful conversation. Um, thank you for being on the podcast and, and sharing a little bit of your your experience in history as an uh, engineer and uh, within the space of R&D. Um, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so LinkedIn. Um, so again, my name is Brooke McDonald. Feel free to reach out there. Um, email me. My email address is bmcdonald at gtmedtech.com. I'm happy to chat, answer any questions, provide any guidance, or go deeper in my experience with R&D if, if that's anything that anyone is interested in. So thanks so much for having me, Erin. It's been exciting to kind of look back on my experience and my life in a R&D engineering role. Totally my pleasure. Thanks again for being on the show. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please share the episode. To learn how your team can leverage our team's expertise developing turnkey equipment, custom fixtures, and automated machines, and with product design, visit us at teampipeline.us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>